Join the GTA fleet and take the fight to the Sheevans with Free Space. This week on the Upper Memory Block Podcast. So what shall it be? Do you join the unity or do you die here? Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 34 of the Upper Memory Block Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Joe, and we are back, as we are all the time, to talk about another great game from the DOS and pre-Windows XP era. So, like I said at the end of the last show, we are uh, we are back kind of one week uh, one week early. The last show on, uh, on last big show on Monkey Island came out just last week, so... Um, you know, I hope uh, I hope you guys don't mind getting uh, getting a little bit more UMB cast than uh, than you usually do. But uh, you know, I got off schedule last week because of uh, all the uh, all the stuff that went down. And uh, as I talked about in the in the last show, and uh, I'm away next weekend uh, or this coming weekend, hopefully on a, a camping trip if the weather holds up, and that should be uh, that should be a lot of fun. So you got you got your show one week early. Uh, aside from that, hey, not much has gone on since last week because it's only been uh, a single week. Uh, my wife was away in uh, in BC for that's British Columbia for people who don't know uh, for business, and uh, so I kind of spent the last week uh, on my own, just uh, working and gaming and podcasting and 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 doing all that stuff. But she is back, and I am glad because uh, it was getting a bit lonely just just me and the cat sitting in the house by ourselves. And uh, life is slowly getting back to normal. Uh, the weather's back to normal. There's no, it hasn't been any more, uh, well, one minor storm uh, last Friday, but nothing crazy. We didn't lose power, anything like that. So uh, that's enough about that. Let's get on to the news. So uh, since we didn't do a whole bunch of news uh, last show, because I had a lot to say about Monkey Island, there's, uh, there's a little more news this week since uh, I let it pile up for a little while. So to begin, uh, I feel like I haven't brought up a new Kickstarter project for a while. So here is a fun one. Uh, The game is called Satellite Rain. It's described as a real-time class-based strategy game set in an open-world cyberpunk city. Uh, And this is all from the creator of Syndicate Wars, which I uh, talked about a little bit in the Syndicate show uh, a few months ago. The game seems quite interesting and, uh, and does seem quite ambitious we're hearing words like real-time city simulation and emergent gameplay and all kinds of things like that uh if you like syndicate and syndicate wars and you'd like to know more go and check out their kickstarter there's only i believe about five or six days left and uh as of yesterday at least they were about sixty thousand pounds short of their goal uh thoughts are that they are indeed going to make it but uh you know, with these Kickstarters, they need all the help they can get. Uh, the link will be in the show notes for Satellite Rain. Next, in a bit more Steam news that uh, I neglected to mention last week when I was talking all about the uh, you know the Steam sale and all that stuff, a company called Interceptor Entertainment has actually released the Duke Nukem platformer pack on Steam. Now, this pack contains Duke Nukem 1 and 2, kind of the two classic platform uh, versions of Duke Nukem, and the... Uh, later version, which I think came out in 2000 or 2001, something like that, called The Manhattan Project. I talked about those in the Duke Nukem show. They were already available on GOG, but if you're a Steam diehard and you like managing all your games that way, you can get them there too. And more Kickstarter news, I have another movie Kickstarter for you guys. A group of classic PC fans are attempting to raise $125,000 to create a documentary discussing the history of Sierra Online. It'll feature interviews with many Sierra Key players, including Ken Roberta Williams themselves, uh, and Laurie and Corey Cole, Al Lowe, probably the two guys from Andromeda, um, Police Quest guy. Oh, what's his name? I should know this. Anyways, it'll come back. Jim Walls. Jim Walls, the, the creator of Police Quest. And uh, many, many more people like that. Uh, there's 14 days left in their campaign, and they've only raised 15000 of their $125,000 goal. So if you do want to see this happen... Check out Heroes, The History of Sierra Online at Kickstarter. And as usual, I'll, uh, I'll put that link in the show notes. Seems interesting. It seems like they have a lot of content in there already. Uh, in their video, they seem to have some high-quality uh, interview clips. And uh, I suspect the 125 is just to, uh, to put things all 
together. So go check it out if uh, you want to see that happen. In Tex Murphy news, uh, last week, I think it was probably last week or maybe the week before, uh, a new trailer went up for the upcoming Tex Murphy reboot, uh, formerly known as the Fedora Project and now known as Tex Murphy in the Tesla Effect. Uh, the trailer definitely looks interesting. Uh, the game's going to be full motion video and uh, they're definitely sticking to a somewhat retro feel. Well, the video appears to be in full quality HD, the actors in the backgrounds definitely still have a 90s FMV kind of virtual set look to them. I'll be interested to see how this reviews when it comes out. Uh, I'll link the uh, the YouTube uh, page for that uh, for that trailer. Finally, in uh, in pretty major SimCity news, it appears that SimCity 5 creative director Ocean Quigley has left EA to form his own company, which he is naming Jellygrade. Uh, he also took the lead SimCity architect and the lead gameplay engineer along with him. What will they be making at this new company? Why, simulations, of course. Uh, I will keep an eye on what interesting developments come out of this in both the uh, the side of Jellygrade and on the side of EA. We're going to have to see who they, uh, who they slot into those positions and what happens there. So that's that for the news. And uh, just a quick email this week, just one from uh, Andreas. And he writes... Hi, Joe. It's been a long time. Hope you didn't think the Duke 3D episode pissed me off or something. Smiley face. It didn't, in fact. I think you did a great job of covering it. There was loads of stuff that you could have included, but then again, if I were to do a Duke 3D show, it would probably require its own series of podcasts rather than just a single episode. Hope I'm not going to be exiled from the show now, but I've never played a Monkey Island game. It's in the pile of shame. That is the pile of all amazing games that I haven't played yet. Sometimes I just wish I could freeze time and stop everybody from making new games until I've caught up with all the awesomeness that has been released so far. By the way, it was actually a blog post my sister made that reminded me I should mail into the UMB cast. She hosts a blog about her life as a foreigner in Japan. And he links it here. I'll put that in the show notes, but it's at uh, thejapans.wordpress.com. And talked about how grateful she is to her regular readers and how she even met one of them in person. Seeing how much joy she gets from her regular readers, I hope these mails from a regular listener do something similar to you. By the way, if you're ever in Tokyo, you know where to find me. Looking forward to Descent. Well, thank you, Andreas. And, and you know, it's, it's true. I probably, you know, I can only speak for myself, but I think it's pretty common among, uh, among podcasters that, you know, we do the shows because, uh, because we, we like the content and we like talking about the stuff that we talk about and all that. But, uh, you know, I, I also I also do do this because because you guys listen, uh, and you know the feedback that I get, and I, I do get very regular feedback from from people from listeners, so you know from quite a few regulars like Andreas and and others, and sometimes you know one offs from people here and there and things like that, and you know that does it, it is very very encouraging to hear from people and hear not only what you think about the games, but what you think about the show and memories that you have and ideas that you have and things you think I could be doing differently or better or, or anything like that. It's, it's, it's always great. And no, Andreas, you are not, um, you are not to be exiled from the show. If you haven't played monkey Island, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think I even usually mention whether or not I've played a game. There's quite a few games here that, uh, that I've gone over on the show that, uh, that I've never actually played before. The first time I play them is, uh, is going through them for the show. Like uh, Loom is a game that I never played off the top of my head. Independence War is a game that I bought, but I only played for very, very little time because at the time I found it too difficult. A few other adventure games, uh, Star Star Control, all these, a lot of games that I've, that I've covered. I, I have never, never played. And this show honestly just gives me an opportunity to uh, to play them and see what I've missed, see if I would have liked them at the time, see if I wouldn't have. And, uh, and the same the same goes for you guys. It's, you know, I try and talk about these things so that um, if you guys have played them, we, we reminisce and we remember the good times we had playing them. And if you haven't played them, then it'll give you an opportunity to go and check them out. So thank you for that email. And let's get on to the main topic of the show. You're listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast. Time for So, on to the main event, the Free Space series. This series was developed by Volition and published by Interplay. 
Free Space dates a bit later in our time frame uh, than we norm well not than we normally do, but kind of just later on in the time frame with the first game of the series coming out in the venerable year of 1998, which almost even more than 1990 is one of those seminal gaming years with stuff like Starcraft and and things like that. So when the game came out, it uh, it went through a, a variety of names, uh, including Descent Free Space, The Great War. It was also known as Conflict Free Space, The Great War. And then eventually simply Free Space, The Great War. But we'll get into all that later on. For now, let's talk about the genre. Free Space is a space combat simulator. We've talked about space combat simulators before with Wing Commander and Independence War. So to recap, a space combat simulator places you in direct command of a single spacecraft. It's generally small and quick, kind of a one-man craft similar in concept to a modern-day aerial fighter or bomber aircraft. Now, that's not always the case. Like we saw in Independence War, you're piloting a slightly larger craft. But in general, you tend to be flying a smaller, more nimble aircraft. Now, space combat sims are generally mission-based. They task you with piloting your craft to accomplish the standard stable of military objectives. Things like escort, strike, patrol, defense... All of these or some combination of these objectives can be presented to you mission to mission. So to accomplish these tasks, you're generally offered the opportunity to fly a range of different spacecraft suited to different roles. You may also be given the freedom to select your weapon loadout, armor levels, and all kinds of other ship customizations. In addition, space sims may offer you the opportunity to command AI wingmen via a series of wingman commands. These wingmen can either be a help or a hindrance depending on many factors such as you know, their in-game skill levels, their own agendas, and, you know, things like that up to and including just straight up poor AI programming. So that's a space sim in a nutshell. Now let's get specific and talk free space. So story time. Free space takes place in a fictional universe that as many sci-fi universes do, became defined by its chosen method for faster-than-light travel. In this case, scientists discovered a way to open gateways into an alternate plane of existence, which they named free space. In free space, ships could travel between two given points much faster than was possible within our plane, kind of very similar to the concept of hyperspace in Star Wars. Eventually, free space was renamed subspace, and the first reliable subspace drives were created. With this, humanity started to spread out into the stars. The Galactic Terran Alliance, or GTA, was born out of this expansion. Shortly thereafter, we discovered that humanity was not alone in the universe. We encountered the Vesudan race. Now, while they certainly look alien, the Vesudans were surprisingly similar to us in many ways. They were so similar, in fact, that hostilities soon escalated between the GTA and the Vesudans. War began. It was a terrible war, a war of attrition and of pure hatred between the two sides. It has gone on unrelentingly for 14 years. It is now the year 2335, and the Terrans and Vesudans are about to find out that they are also not alone in the universe. Responding. What is your situation? Oh, thank God. Our wing was ambushed. We didn't have a chance. I'm sure they're tracking me. Calm down, sir. Who attacked you? Was it the Vesudans? Vesudans were killed, too. They slaughtered everyone. Sir, you have to calm down. You were attacked by Vesudans. Is that true? No, no! We were in a skirmish with a Vesudan patrol, and they just came out of nowhere and killed everyone. Who came out of nowhere, pilot? I, I don't know. They, they weren't Vesudans, and they weren't Terran. They're these death black ships, and they flew like pilot. They're the weapons pilot. too much. They wasted everyone. Pilot, sit tight. We're sending recovery craft right now. Send fighters. 
I know they're following me. Send everything you have now. Sir, I don't have anyone else on the scope. I'm home free. It's going to be all right. No, it isn't. You don't understand. You weren't there. I can feel them following me. Oh, my God. I'm dead. Picking up unknown jump signatures. So it appears that an unknown, very powerful alien race is making incursions into GTA space. However, aside from this single encounter, we know nothing else about this new threat. So this is where the game begins. As we tend to do, we will move into gameplay, but continue talking about the events of the game while we do so. You are listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast. So, you are a new pilot in the GTA fleet assigned to the Orion-class destroyer Galatea under the command of Admiral Wolf. After you are welcomed aboard, you go through the three training missions which demonstrate the basic operation of your GTF Apollo Space Superiority Starfighter. Phase 1 covers your flight controls and heads-up display gauges. You then practice attacking stationary targets. Phase 2 teaches advanced targeting and firing techniques, and Phase 3 teaches dogfighting. This is a good place to talk about the basics of gameplay. As discussed in the genre section, you're put in control of a variety of GTA fighters in free space. To begin, you're assigned to the GTF Apollo Fighter. This is a good general purpose fighter akin to um, an X-Wing, I guess we can say, if if we want to use Star Wars as a a base for reference, which this game sort of does. Uh, It isn't the fastest ship, it isn't the most heavily armed, it is well-balanced and performs acceptably at a variety of tasks. Of course, basic training outlines how to control your ship. More importantly, it talks about your weapons. All ships in free space have two distinctive sets of weapon systems, primary and secondary. Primary weapons consist of your traditional beams, kind of lasers and plasma cannons and the like. These are your go-to weapons. Since they're energy-based, they never run out of ammunition. Their only limitation is the recharge time between shots. The Apollo has two banks of primary weapons. In its primary racks, it can mount either the GTW ML-16 laser, kind of a very standard argon laser, or the GTW-41 disruptor cannon. While the laser just straight up does damage to an enemy's hull, the disruptor functions similarly to the ion cannons in the X-Wing series. It disrupts subsystems and eventually knocks them out. Disruptors are used to disable vessels for eventual capture. Additional primary weapons are introduced as the game progresses, including the rapid-fire Avenger and Flail lasers and the more powerful Prometheus and Banshee cannons. These more powerful weapons are very interesting. Uh, However, the main drawback of the Apollo Starfighter is that it has very low weapons compatibility, so it cannot necessarily mount every single one of these weapons. So on top of these primary weapons, all ships are configured with one or more secondary weapons banks as well. Secondary weapons are missile-based. Missiles range from the very mundane to the very advanced. When you begin, you have access to the GTM-2 Fury Dumbfire Missile, which has no homing capabilities whatsoever, but does a moderate amount of damage. Your ship can carry quite a few of them, and uh, they're quite effective against stationary or slow-moving targets. At the start, we also have access to the MX-50 Heat-Seeking Missile. Early in the game, this is your mainstay weapon in dogfighting. It doesn't do a huge amount of damage and has limited homing capabilities, but it doesn't require a lock-on. You simply keep a target in front of you and let one fly. It will attempt to lock onto the closest heat source and home in for the kill. They can be fairly easily avoided via maneuvering and via countermeasures. We then move into more complex aspect-seeking missiles such as the Interceptor, which is much more precise than the MX-50. The Hornet is aspect-seeking and fires a swarm of small missiles at a target. The Stiletto is ideal for killing turrets as it's apparently shielded, though I haven't seen any evidence of that in the actual game. Uh, There really is a very wide variety of missile weapons to load onto your ship. 
The different weapons are suitable for very different playstyles and really do add to, uh, to the replayability of the game. There are even a few options for targeting in this game. As with other space sims, you can cycle through all your targets by pressing T. Free Space also offers options to target your nearest enemy or friendly, and uh, if you're in an escort mission, the status of your escort target is always monitored on your HUD so you can easily tell if they're being threatened or attacked. To cycle through escort targets, you can press E. Now the coolest thing that I was impressed with about the targeting system, however, is auto-target. I'm amazed that no space sim before has had this function. Basically, if you activate auto-targeting, once your current target is destroyed or otherwise no longer targetable, maybe it escaped or was disabled or something, your targeting computer will simply auto-select the next closest target, making combat much more fluid. Of course, your ship has standard aircraft-like flight controls. There isn't any realistic Newtonian physics here like there were in Independence War. You have a throttle, which can be set from 0 to 100%, with presets at one-third and two-thirds, uh, in addition to a Wing Commander-style afterburner. Now, in Wing Commander, your afterburner had a finite amount of fuel available to it. In the original game, if you exhausted your fuel, you'd be lost in space and die. In the second and onward, once your fuel was depleted, you simply couldn't use your afterburners anymore. In free space, your afterburner fuel actually regenerates. You fire your engine, which accelerates your ship. Now you do so long enough, and you expend your fuel reserve. Now, you just have to wait about 15 seconds, running at kind of full regular throttle, and the fuel regenerates, allowing you to fire a burst from your afterburner again. This is quite, quite useful when intercepting enemy ships. So with the three training missions complete, you earn your pilot wings. If you've done this before, you do have the option of skipping them and jumping straight to mission one. Now, before we enter the mission, obviously we have to go through a mission briefing. Mission briefings in free space are usually one or two parts. The first part, which is sometimes optional, is the kind of command portion of the briefing. This is where GTA Command provides you with background info, status of the conflict, intelligence, and more in relation to your next mission. Here's the first portion of the Mission 1 briefing. Operation Thresher in the Antares system did not proceed as planned. Terran Command estimates Terran losses at 504 pilots dead, 14 missing, and presumed dead. The Vasudan foothold on Vasuda Prime and Subspace Node remains solid. However, their supply lines have been cut off which means they are most likely lacking reinforcements and supplies. Expect more news on that front in tomorrow's briefing. There have been many rumors about the appearance of another sentient species. These are rumors, nothing more. Investigation of the Ross-128 attack has determined nothing. Concern yourselves with the known enemy, the Basudans. There is to be no more talk of phantom ships. Let this serve as a welcome aboard to all newly arrived pilots aboard the Galatea. Since you're here, your flight records must speak highly of you already. Serve the Galatea well. She's a fine ship. Report to your flight stations at 0830 for your squadron briefings. Familiarize yourself with the specifications of the GTD Orion-class destroyer, the Apollo Space Superiority Fighter, and the ML-16 Laser. Information on all of these can be found in the tech room. So once that info gets communicated, you get into your specific squadron briefing, which contains all the details and specific objectives of your upcoming assignment. Pilot attend. Welcome to the GTD Galatea. Your first assignment as part of the Galatea's crew is to stand the third watch. You will patrol the area surrounding the GTC ORF. The GTC ORF suffered an engine breakdown in the Beetlejuice system and is awaiting repairs. You will be on watch with one other ship, Alpha-2. Since this is your first watch, Alpha-2 will be piloted by Lieutenant Harbison, a seasoned veteran and top-notch pilot. You will begin your watch by jumping to Beetlejuice near the GTC Orf. We have reports of Vasudan fighters in this system, so stay alert. Engage and destroy any hostiles that threaten the Orf. At the end of your watch, you will be relieved by Delta Wing. Upon Delta's arrival, you are to return to base. Your primary objective will be to protect the ORF until the end of your watch. We expect you to carry out your orders to the letter. You may confirm your ship hardware and weapons loadout for this mission. If found satisfactory, commit to the mission. GTD Galatea Quarterdeck, signing off. 
So the first real mission in the game is fairly straightforward. You gotta protect the Orf from some Vasudan fi- uh, flights that jump in. It's really not so bad. Very soon, though, a later escort mission goes awry with an incursion by an unknown enemy. These unidentified ships cannot be targeted by your radar, and when you do attack them, your lasers do very little damage. They're soon named the Sheevans, and the Terrans and Vasudans quickly realize that this conflict will not go well unless they put their 14-year conflict aside and band together against this new threat. You spend the next few missions along with your new Vasudan allies playing catch-up to the Sheevans. Soon enough, you do catch up and start to offer the Sheevans a small challenge. You adapt their shielding technology, you mount heavier weapons, things like that. Eventually, the opportunity to capture a Sheevan cruiser arises. This is too good to pass up, and a mission is launched to capture the SC Tanaris. Well, turns out it's a trap. The game's main adversary, the Sheevan super destroyer Lucifer, jumps in and destroys their own disabled vessel and many other allied capital ships and fighters. You escape, and your new goal is the destruction of the Lucifer. All throughout the game, cutscenes are interspersed between missions with another unknown alien race telling the story of their ancient encounters with the Sheevans. They are known as the Ancients, and they provide us with a small amount of insight into the psyche and motivation of the Sheevans. They also provide the secret to the Lucifer's destruction. Eventually, the final confrontation takes place between your forces and the Lucifer. You actually fight in subspace between Delta Serpentis and the Souls system. The Lucifer is destroyed. However, this also destroys the jump node in the Soul system, cutting off access to Earth to the greater galaxy. It's a twist and a bit of a bittersweet ending. The story of Free Space is fairly linear. However, performance in missions does have an impact on future missions in certain cases. For example, if you don't destroy an enemy capital ship in an early mission, it'll come back in a later mission, making that one much more challenging. Of course, the game also supported multiplayer matches either online or via LAN play. Players could team up in co-op missions or fight head-to-head in teams. Free Space multiplayer was hugely popular and even featured voice chat, which was pretty novel at the time. Finally, a mission editor allowed users to create their own missions complete with scripting, music, all kinds of stuff like that. It was very, very, very complete. You're listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast. Time for... So, as I said right at the beginning, Free Space came out back in another great gaming year, 1998. We're into Pentiums by now, and Free Space did enjoy some reasonably hefty system requirements. So, to run Free Space at all, you needed to have at least a Pentium 133 MHz with a 3D accelerator, or a Pentium 166 MHz with software rendering. It also required Windows 95 with DirectX 5.0, or Windows NT with DirectX 3. It needed 32 megs of RAM, an 8x or faster CD-ROM, 210 megs of drive space, a mouse, and a sound card. Now that's just to get it running at all. To run it in any semblance of usability, uh, you should probably have had at least a Pentium 200 with a Glide or Direct3D compatible 3D card, at least 48 megs of RAM, 64 probably more ideal, a separate AGP or PCI video card, and a joystick. Now the graphics were full 3D, rendered in a custom-built engine designed for the game. It was simply called the Free Space Engine, and supported software rendering in addition to OpenGL and direct 3D rendering modes depending, again, on what sort of video hardware you were running. The graphics in Free Space were very, very impressive. From detailed ship models to huge capital ships that actually felt threatening, unlike capital ships in Wing Commander, which could easily be destroyed, uh, the game was very good looking. The rendering was also very smooth with proper hardware, which resulted in very fast-paced and intense combat. 
The game's music was composed by Dan Wentz, who had worked with the Parallax team in the past doing the music for Descent 1 and 2. The music of Free Space is a very atmospheric mix of orchestral and electronic styles, which really adds to the overall ambiance of the game. Dan is still very proud of his work on Free Space, uh, to the point where in 2012, just a year ago, he started a thread on the Hard Light Productions forums, a very active Free Space mod community, uh, where he linked to remixes he had recently done of many iconic Free Space and Free Space 2 tracks. He also took requests for additional tracks to remaster and did quite a few of them. The remix versions are what you're hearing right now, and there's over 50 tracks on his SoundCloud. The bulk of them are from Free Space, but there's also some Descent tracks on there as well. Check them out at soundcloud.com slash Daniel Wentz. That's W-E-N-T-Z. You're listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast. Time for... All right, time for the dev story. I am excited about this one. So when Free Space originally released, it was known as Descent Free Space. With that in mind, obviously this game came from the same team that brought us the Descent series, right? Well, in a way, yes. Uh, If you remember way back almost a year ago to uh, episode 10... Uh, I covered Descent. So, as you may or may not recall, the original Descent released in 1995. If you want a lot of detail on that and the whole kind of beginning of Parallax and and all that stuff, go check out episode 10. It's it's a pretty good one. Uh, It was developed by Parallax Software, a company founded by two men, Mike Kulas and Matt Toshlog. The original Descent was a huge success, and the two men realized they had to make a sequel. However, there was an issue. Parallax had two separate offices, one in Ann Arbor, Michigan, headed by Toshlog, and one in Champaign, Illinois, headed by Kulas. They worked on Descent 2 using this two-team setup, and while it did work and Descent 2 was a successful game, it was concluded that running the two offices as a single company was unnecessarily complex and the company should spin off into two separate entities. Toshlog would form Outrage Entertainment and go on to do the next official game in the Descent series, Descent 3. The side of this split that we care about right now is Mike Kulas. His team formed a new company called Volition. Previous to founding Parallax with Toshlog, Mike had worked at a company called Sublogic, where he worked on various iterations of their flight simulator. This flight simulator would be licensed by Microsoft as the ever-popular MS Flight Simulator series. With this in mind, he wanted to take Descent out of the mines and give the player much more freedom to move around So it was decided they would take the same basic concepts from Descent and make a totally new space sim. Now, Free Space is not and was never intended to be a Descent game, nor was it intended to be a spiritual successor or even based on the previous Descent games. Descent 3 was Outrage's baby. Volition had the option contractually to do Descent 4, but that wasn't in the cards right now. Descent 3 was in development. Uh, Designer Adam Pletcher who'd begun with Parallax as the one and only artist on the original Descent game, was tasked as lead designer for the new game. They came up with the term free space to represent both the idea of how this game would be different from their previous efforts, and also as the original name for what would later become known as subspace, the universe's method of faster-than-light travel. This was all well and good from a creative perspective, however legally there was an issue here right off the bat. A company called Magenix had a disk compression utility out named, guess what, FreeSpace. The team at Felician hemmed and hawed trying to figure out a different name, but they couldn't. This game had to be called FreeSpace. That's when the publisher, Interplay, stepped in. They owned distribution rights to the name Descent, so they suggested that they call the game Descent FreeSpace. It came from half the team that made Descent, so why not? So, the initial, the initial release of the game was in fact entitled Descent Free Space, The Great War. The team began with five people, including Kulas and Pletcher. 
So again, you'd think since the company made an amicable split that uh, the FreeSpace team would use the previous Descent engine as a starting point. Well, they didn't. The FreeSpace engine was built from the ground up. Pletcher and the team were avid Space Sim fans. They had logged many, many hours in games like Wing Commander and the various X-Wing games. Uh, They took elements from each of those games that they enjoyed, in addition to inspiration from all forms of sci-fi media, like books like Ender's Game, movies like Star Wars, and shows like Space Above and Beyond, which, by the way, is an amazing and underrated military sci-fi show from the 90s. If you've never heard of it, I strongly suggest you go check it out. I believe it is on Netflix. Uh, Mike Kulas worked on the game's AI. Generally, as you progress through a game, the artificial intelligence doesn't change very much. The most straightforward method to increase the difficulty from mission to mission is to simply give the enemy more hit points and increase the damage output. So in theory, this kind of levels them up. This isn't the case in free space. Kulos actually built in functions to scale the AI as the game went on. So in the first few missions, the enemy doesn't fly very well. They don't coordinate their attacks, things like that. As you go on, they get better and better, forcing you to make decisions on how to best approach them. Also, though the craft in the game flew very much like traditional aircraft, the collision physics were actually a little bit more Newtonian. If you ran into an enemy, your ship gets thrown wildly off course, spinning and whatever, as opposed to Wing Commander or X-Wing, where you simply take damage and just kind of keep on moving. Of course, like with many games, some content did in fact have to be cut for time and money. Uh, The Free Space Bible an internal document outlining the game, described quite a few more cutscenes and mission arcs which had to be removed from the final release. Uh, In addition, multiplayer deathmatch, so one-on-one head-to-head deathmatch, was not shipped with the game. As Free Space neared completion, some issues cropped up with actually the publishing rights. You see, the original Descent from 1995 was not always intended to be published by Interplay. I actually don't even think I knew this when I covered the uh, the Descent series. I mean, it, it was a while ago, so I'd have to go back and listen to see if I mentioned this. But if I didn't, this is actually a very interesting point. Initially, Descent was an Apogee title. However, prior to the release of the game, Apogee had some financial troubles and was forced to sell publishing rights for Descent to Interplay. One of the conditions of this deal was that while Interplay would be getting the rights to publish Descent, Apogee reserved the right to publish Parallax's next new game. Well, Descent 2 didn't fit the bill as a new game, as it was a sequel. Descent Free Space, though, was indeed a new game. So, in December of 1997, Apogee slash 3D Realms exercised their right per the sale and announced they would be publishing Descent Free Space as shareware and selling the retail version exclusively for a period of three months. After that initial period, Interplay was free to begin selling it as well. Obviously, Interplay did not love this, uh, this turn of events because the bulk of the game's sales would probably take place in that first three months. In April of 1998, less than a month after the game went to market, Interplay and Apogee closed a deal which resulted in Interplay retaining full rights to the game, bypassing Apogee's exclusivity period. So FreeSpace released late in March of 1998. Uh, I'm not sure of the details of how that agreement worked in that kind of the, those intervening weeks or two, one or two weeks where uh, technically Apogee still had distribution rights. But uh, anyways, it came out and uh, it was received very, very well. Wing Commander Prophecy, which is the fourth Wing Commander game, and X-Wing versus TIE Fighter had released around the same time, very slightly earlier, and Free Space competed very well with them. Some said that it did indeed take the best parts of those other two games and put them together. Other people, though, said, well, it was fun, it really didn't bring much innovation to the table. Though the game does have a fairly epic story, since the focus of the game is that you're simply a pilot, you yourself don't contribute to this kind of epic chain of events in any especially meaningful way. You're just kind of a guy doing your job. Uh, In addition, the lack of any real between-mission story points kind of leaves you feeling emotionally detached from your ship and wingman. This was was something that, that some reviewers did comment on when compared to a very epic and cinematic experience like Wing Commander, especially kind of the later... Wing Commander games with full motion video and Mark Hamill and Wing Commander Prophecy and all of that. Uh, On the other hand, though, graphically, the game reviewed very well. 
It was by far the best looking of all space sims of the time. As I said in the tech focus, the ship, the big ships were truly big. And when any ship died, it took time. The ship would start to drift out of control, racked by small explosions only to finally explode. Big ships emitted shock waves when they died, causing you damage if you were too close. Uh, despite the lack of an incredibly deep and well-told story, the team did get many small details of the simulation right, so you really did feel immersed in your ship, if not attached to the world and your teammates. The multiplayer also did not review very well. It was designed to run very well over LAN and broadband connections. However, in 1998, most players still had slow dial-up internet. Like other games of that time, lag was a huge complaint. Despite all these issues, Free Space was a great success. Interplay put a huge amount of effort into marketing the game, running contests, advertising. It worked. Free Space was a hit. It sold a lot of copies. You are listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast. On the heels of this hit, on November 2nd, 1998, only a few months after the release of the original game, Free Space 2 was confirmed to be in development. 32 years have passed since the Great War. The Sheevans vanished half a lifetime ago. And now, we live in the mausoleum of history. We inherit the legacy of ghosts who haunt these ruins. The elders call us the Lost Generation. I remember stories of a glorious civilization. Of cities with spires that reached the sun. Of a blue planet with vast seas. Of people with myths of humanity everlasting. Of children who saw in the embers of dying stars the destiny of their race. And they hurled themselves into the void of space with no fear. They say our people have no present. filled with horror. And a future they can only dream of. Now we forge a new alliance to guard the tomb of space and find within its cold expanse the salvation of our race. Well, you know, for the, now, that, now that I listen to that, at least the beginning of the music really reminds me a lot of, of Mass Effect. I think it'd be interesting to know if, uh, if the guy that composed Mass Effect was, uh, was inspired by, by uh, Free Space 2. Anyways, Free Space 2 takes place 32 years after the end of the Great War. War. The Terran Vasudan Alliance has solidified after the loss of communication with Earth due to the final events of Free Space. This alliance is opposed by a splinter group known as the Neo Terran Front, led by a rogue admiral named Bosch. The game begins with your missions revolving around quashing this rebellion, but quickly escalates as the terrorist group activates an artificial jump gate which allows the Shivans to return. The plan for Free Space 2 was, again, overly ambitious. Originally, they intended to upgrade the Free Space engine to handle atmospheric battles, space artillery strikes, and a lot of other cool things like that. What they ended up doing was tightening up the game engine and making hardware acceleration a requirement. This allowed the designers to have more ships on the battlefield at once, which was a major requirement of the design of the game. The team wanted battles to be huge and epic, not simply a bunch of small engagements all strung together. 
Missions inside of Nebulae were added. Uh, they had you flying sensor blind through clouds, which also blinded you visually. It was honestly a very, very cool effect. In addition, capital ships were now equipped with high-powered beam weapons for capital ship on capital ship combat. This added a great new element to the game. Capital ships would jump in and slug it out with each other while you and your wingmates buzz around between them. It's really a very visually impressive sight. Also, if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, one of those big beams can catch you and then you're really toast. So your commanding officer, Admiral Petrarch, was voiced by the incomparable Robert Loggia. Uh, the Rogue Admiral was voiced by Ronnie Cox, and Kurtwood Smith and Stephen Baldwin also played smaller roles in the game. Despite these improvements, Interplay didn't put as much effort into marketing this game. In fact, they didn't put any effort into it at all, and many fans of the Free Space series had no idea that this game had even released. Free Space 2 was superior to the original in every way. Better technology, better voice acting, better story, bigger action. It reviewed incredibly well, some reviewers hailing it as the benchmark for space sims even into today. Just like the first game, Free Space 2 didn't do anything particularly innovative, but the presentation was so tight that GameSpot has it on its list of greatest games of all time. Despite all this, because of the very, very poor marketing, the game didn't sell very well at all. In the year 2000, Volition was acquired by THQ. Interplay still held the licenses for free space, so Volition was basically powerless to make any more free space games unless Interplay wanted them to. So what did they do? They released the source code under a non-commercial license. This, along with the formation of the Free Space 2 source code project, created a central managed repository for the Free Space 2 engine, or FS2 Open, as it has become to be known. The open game engine is regularly updated with higher-res models and performance tweaks. While there are quite a few projects that use the engine for their own games, the coolest outcome of this is that, like the original Descent, as long as the fans keep maintaining it, we will always have a version of free space that runs on modern systems and looks great. You are listening to the so, aside from the open source project, there isn't anything that I know of in the works for a new game in the Free Space series. One news item of interest is this, though. THQ went bankrupt earlier this year. While Interplay has always held the publishing rights for Free Space, Volition slash THQ held the development rights. Well, in the THQ fire sale a few months back, Interplay picked up the remaining rights and didn't have for the franchise for about $7,500, which is ridiculously cheap, and now they basically own the whole thing. What does this mean? Well, honestly, I'm not sure yet. Uh, maybe if Star Citizen does well and re revitalizes Space Sims or some other thing comes on that revitalizes Space Sims, we may see a new free space. I mean, honestly, at this point, we just don't know. Hi, I'm Francisco Ruiz, and together with my good friend Paul Powers and a rotating guest host, we make up the Retro Rewind podcast. Twice a month, we pick a movie or video game from 15 or more years ago and discuss whether it is still worth revisiting today. So if you've thought about rewatching The Rocketeer, playing back through Mega Man X, or you're just a child of the 70s and 80s like us, you should check us out for laughs, for nostalgia, and definitely for our take on what's a classic and what's second class. Find us at RetroRewindPodcast.com, where you can subscribe on iTunes, RSS, and more. So where can we get free space today? Well, it's very easy. You can get both free space and free space 2 from GOG.com for $5.99 each. They both run well right out of the box. However, if you want things to look great... Go and install Open Free Space or FS2 Open and update all of the models to high res. Free Space 2 in 1080p looks incredible. You can download, you can find a download of the Free Space 2 source code project at scp.indiegames.us. There's a little bit of work to uh, to install it and get things updated and make it work properly, but uh, instructions are all there. And um, you know, once once that happens, you can play it in basically pretty much modern looking graphics with improved sound and music and it's really 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 great okay time for the final analysis does free space hold up today well i'll say this 
from a gameplay perspective, yes, absolutely. This is an incredibly fun, fast-paced space sim. It's Is it as deep as X-Wing? No. There's damage, there's energy management, but while energy management was crucial in X-Wing, it's something that's nice to play with here. It does feel a bit arcadey at times, but when you get into a big engagement and the fur is flying, it is a ton of fun. In Free Space 2, when you're caught between two huge cap ships pummeling each other with beams, it's a truly epic experience. So that's gameplay. If you're playing these games for the story, yeah, you could probably skip them. While the story is acceptable, it isn't told in a way that makes you really care about it. You're a small cog in a big machine, and then at the end of the day, you can die and the war will go where it goes. You aren't made to feel particularly important in the grand scheme of things, which, while realistic, may sit the wrong way with some. So, for gameplay, huge recommend. You have to give this a go. This is the standard for space sim gameplay. It's tight, it's quick, and it can turn on a dime. For story and background of the universe, it's just okay. If you want that, go and play Wing Commander. Attention, attention. Are you a fan of MASH, one of the most groundbreaking television series in history? Then take a listen to the MASH 4077 podcast, where hosts Kenny, Simon, and Al discuss their thoughts episode by episode. They will also share with you some little-known behind-the-scenes information, trivia, and so much more. So come and find them on iTunes by searching MASH 4077 podcast or online at www.mash4077podcast.com. So that's that. Thank you, Andreas, for your email, and thanks, as always, to everyone for listening. Next time, I'll be moving into the 4X space strategy realm with Master of Orion. As always, you can send email or audio comments to podcast at umbcast.com. Thank you to Rick Moyer for your great audio work. You can find him over at moyermultimedia.com. Check out the show notes at umbcast.com. You can join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash umbcast. Follow the show on Twitter at twitter.com slash umbshow and me personally at twitter.com slash billybob476. Also, you can join the new Steam community group at steamcommunity.com slash groups slash umbcast. Subscribe to the show on iTunes. Stream us live at Stitcher Radio. Leave me some reviews on both of those services and anywhere else that leaves reviews and accepts reviews for podcasts. So that is it. And I will see you next time for Master of Orion here in the Upper Memory Block. Battle control terminated. You've been listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast with Joe Mastroianni. For more information on the podcast, visit umbcast.com. That's umbcast.com. Write to Joe today at podcast at umbcast.com. That's podcast at umbcast.com. So what shall it be? Do you join the unity or do you die here? Join.